I'm Mary Parker, and welcome to this episode of Eureka's Sounds of Science. I have a very special guest today, Dr. Ali Saeed Faki, who started his scientific career in toxicology. He even worked for Charles River after they acquired MPI Research in 2018, then became the ambassador for the Somali government to the European Union. He is now a congressman for the Somali Federal Parliament. His journey from diaspora to science to politics is unique, and I'm honored to welcome him today to tell his story. Welcome, Dr. Faki. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Great talking to you. I'm very excited to have you here today. So can you tell me a little bit about your background? I was born and raised in Somalia. I grew up in a town called Brawa, uh, which is about 214 kilometers south of Mogadishu. Then I went to high school in Mogadishu, then went to college there. And then from there, I, I went to Italy to study pharmacology. And then in the early 90s, I went immediately after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. I went to Germany to do my PhD on developmental toxicology. And I worked for, I went to do what they call scientific collaborator at the University, Free University of Berlin, Institute of uh, Embryo Pharmacology, which, is one of, which was one of the best uh, centers for developmental toxicology. I stayed there until late 1998. And then in 1998, uh, late December 16, 1998, I came to the United States and then I started searching jobs. And I got, you know, the first job I got was at Mohawk School of Medicine in Atlanta, Georgia. And from there, you know, I was working on actually something very different from what I have studied. I was working on polymorphism of CYP2 D6, which is practically an enzyme that metabolizes about 20-25% of the drugs in the market. And then I got a job in Chicago at Illinois Institute of Technology, Research Institute. They call it ITRI, mm-hmm. a small institution there. We were doing, I was doing developmental reproductive psychology uh, studies. And then from there, I went to Irvine, California, where I worked at, at Allergan. And then from Allergan, I came in 2003 to MPI Research, where I stayed until before I knew science. So I stayed there in, in, until 2017. For anybody who's listening who isn't familiar with the Somali diaspora, could you give us a little rundown of how that affected your life? Yeah, the Somali diaspora actually is a very active diaspora in North America, mm-hmm. mainly in the United States and Canada. And I was part of the uh, group in the United States who are very active, concerned about what was happening in Somalia. So we we organized meetings and we always attempted to help our country as much as we can. Mm-hmm. A group of us were against the warlords who are really targeting civilians and doing a lot of harm to the country. Mm-hmm. So I was part of the, the very active diaspora community here in in America. I used to write articles about the ongoing crisis in Somalia, and I used to go to meetings, any meetings that was related to Somali issues in North America and sometimes even in, in Europe as well. 
how did you get your start in toxicology? What was it that drew you to developmental toxicology to begin with? Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, when I actually, I got a scholarship in the 90s to do my PhD in Germany. But then the war broke. Then I had to leave the country. Most of us have to run away. So I went in Kenya. The institution that gave me the scholarship is called DAAD, DAD. So they had an office in uh, Nairobi, and I contacted them, and they made they told me that I was still in the list, so they have honored. Although Somalia didn't exist anymore, the government has fallen apart, but they have decided to still keep me as uh, one of their the students that are receiving the scholarship. Uh, initially, I, you know, I was supposed to leave in October 1991 to Germany, but unfortunately, I didn't get a mentor, a professor. Mm-hmm. But then I had to fly to go to Italy, and actually, I was invited by a, an Italian professor who was my professor of botany, and he was very interested in medicinal plants. So he has to invite me and to stay in his lab for six months. So I flew from Nairobi to Italy, Palermo, Sicily. I stayed with him. In the meantime, I was pursuing about the scholarship and finally I was accepted. I got a a mentor and I had to fly to Germany in May of 1992 to start the language. And from there, I actually, the lab I went, the toxicology, I was in any way pursuing toxicology interest because as a pharmacologist, someone who has studied pharmacology in Italy, I was much interested in toxicology, but my real interest was on environmental toxicology. But then when I went there, the opportunity that was available at the time was developmental tox, and that's how I started. But the institute where I was doing my PhD in Leipzig, they were not that much of, you know, stronger in in developmental tox, so I had to find a free university of Berlin. I got another advisor who was helping me also in the area of my research. And I will spend many, many times in Berlin to do my PhD on the thesis on developmental tax. Mm-hmm. When I went there, they had this, they were actually advisor to the, w, the WHO on developmental tax. So there was, there was a lot of experience. There were a lot of experts uh, there on developmental tax. And then when I went there, I, they had a big project on endocrine disruptors. So I started working on the endocrine disruptors for almost three years before I came to the States. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but from what I understand, it's not too far off to think about environmental toxicology and developmental toxicology together. I mean, obviously, if chemical makes its way into the environment, one of the things that it could disrupt most easily would be developmental Uh, issues with humans and other animals in the environment. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about your political background? You mentioned, you know, joining groups in the United States and writing articles. Do you think that this is what initially got your name out there for a a later political career? Yes, actually, you know, uh, most Somalis are who are educated, uh, who lived in diaspora in North America, either in the U.S. or in Canada, they were very active. We had organizations. We would exchange ideas and come up with 
you know, meetings and all kind of things. The, the political engagement, you know, they, we don't have parties in Somalia. There is no party. So there is no political lineage that people follow. Actually, I was more interested in the justice part of the, you know, mm-hmm. I was almost like a human rights uh, activist trying to see, to, to discuss race issues of human rights that was affecting most Somalis in, in the country at the time mm-hmm. due to the, uh, the warlords who are terrorizing people. And, you know, from there, some of my uh, friends who are uh, here went and joined the government in early 2000. And then from there, you know, we kept contacts and we had meetings. And for the first time, I was invited to go to Somalia in 2013 uh, after leaving in 1991. So you can imagine I was... (laughs) Or close to 20 some years, I didn't go to my country. Yeah. And it was really depressing what I saw. And then from there, you know, everybody becomes, you know, Somalia, yeah, is, is, is over 12 million people, but people know each other. And that's how I, I get involved into politics. And, you know, I was always in, in politics, if we can call it politics. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty much, you know, how I, got involved into the uh, Somali politics. So, yeah, tell me about becoming the ambassador for Somalia. I understand that when you were asked, you were still working for Charles River. Yeah, I was asked actually to serve. This came out of nowhere. You know, I was even (laughs) not prepared. Uh, One day I was sitting in my office and then a call came. Someone called me who at the time, you know, uh, the speaker of the house of, you know, the second most important person in the uh, in the country so he called and said you look we are looking for an ambassador who can serve us in the European Union and I said okay you want me to look to some people he said I can give me a couple of days I told him like let's see give me two days three days I will look around and see who is who fits in this position and he said look no, 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 no. I'm looking, actually, I want you to serve there. I said, look, I have no experience in this area, and I'm not really, uh, I never thought that I would be an ambassador. He said, no, 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 please, I want you to serve. This is very important for the country. For, so after like 20 minutes of, you know, saying yes and no, 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 and then finally I had to say, okay, I said, okay, to myself, you know, Politicians usually promise things and they never deliver. So let me just say, okay. <laughs> well, I said, I say, go for it. Well, guess what? The next morning I was an ambassador. So it, <laughs> it went through the uh, cabinet and it was approved. And I was one of the five ambassadors uh, nominated that morning. And it was in uh, June, I think June 26, 22, 21 or something like that of, of the 2018. I guess it it makes sense. I mean, you'd lived in Italy and Germany. Um, I can't even imagine how many languages you speak. So in that regard, it it made perfect sense. Yeah, it was initially actually difficult because you have to understand that serving a country that exists nominatively doesn't really exist and institutions are not working. And, you know, you have to come and represent the country in a big, big, you know, you know, uh, countries like Belgium and European Union, there's lots of responsibility, lots of, you know, uh, uh, staff needed. The most fortunate thing was that we had actually a building 
that belongs to the Somali government, that was the chancellery. And that actually helped us because we could open the office and then sit there as our main office, use it as our main office. Otherwise, even would have been very difficult because, you know, you have to be paying rent in Belgium, you know, will cost rent for an office. Uh, and at the time, the government was not even able to do that. Right. So initially, it was, it was very difficult. You know, you have to run around. Practically, I used to be my own driver, my own secretary, and I was doing all the diplomatic activities around going around. So dealing with the European Union, dealing with the uh, local government there, the Belgian government, and dealing, running around, going to Netherlands and, and, you know, and also meeting, serving other European countries where there was, there were no ambassador there, dealing with migrant crisis, Somali migrants, you know, in the in Europe. And one of the major issues that we were dealing with migrants, you know, coming to Europe and, you know, they were having lots of problems. So we have to be able to identify them as citizens and then provide them documents. They will come there without, you know, any ID. They don't have mm-hmm. anything with them. So you have to be practically able yeah, by interviewing them and identifying them that they are actually Somalis. Mm-hmm. That was a big task. And, you know, finally, you know, things get better slowly and slowly. And, you know, after like two years, three years, things started working very well. Yeah. Going back to when you were first asked, how did your coworkers react? Did they not believe you at first? Yeah, well, you know, it was kind of a surprise thing. You know, nobody ever expected, you know, some a scientist, a toxicologist who has a good job just to abandon his job and decide to go to serve his country as an ambassador. It was a privilege for me, actually, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And my colleagues have, you know, had mixed feelings. Some of them were saying, okay, well, you know, this is a really a noble job. Uh, I'm glad that you had it. Some others saying, hey, are you really sure? You want to go there and, and, you know, with all the crisis that Somalia has and he, what can you do there? And is it really a good decision? Uh, have you thought about it? But overall, you know, was I think the reaction was positive. Excellent. And I imagine the, the transition must have been uh, somewhat tumultuous. Did you have family in the States and did they go with you? I had actually family in the States and I had to convince my wife and my kids that I'm going to serve mm-hmm. the country. And actually they were absolutely not happy, but <laughs> they finally decided to support me. The kids were here at school, so I could not, you know, they, they wouldn't accept mm-hmm. to go to Europe for your education because, you know, uh, they had to change the school, not only in the language as well. You know, in Brussels, they speak French. So it was not feasible for all of us. So, but they stayed here, and you know, I would uh, fly back and forth once a month in mm-hmm. in the states. And in the meantime, you were, you know, basically building your offices from scratch in Brussels. Yes, absolutely, uh, from scratch. It was a very interesting period. You know, you have to understand that the diaspora in Europe as well you know this was almost the only functional mm-hmm. embassy that we put together people from norway from uh, somalis from norway refugee migrant somalis from norway from 
from Sweden, from all Scandinavian countries, from mm-hmm. uh, England, from, you know, Ireland, will all have to come there, you know, to be served as a... So we were doing lots of consular activities. That was actually, at the time, the only functional embassy there. So was a huge task. Mm-hmm. We had had problems, but, you know, with our commitment and the work... I think we, at least from what I could understand, I had, I would say that I had, I had served my people very well. It must have been a tremendous relief for a lot of them to all of a sudden have an official government office in Europe, you know, somewhat close by, going from, you know, having no, no government office to having at least something must have been a big relief. Absolutely, it was a huge relief for them. You have to understand that, you know, whenever where they go as refugees, as as, as migrants, uh, they have to come up with documents and they don't have anything. And the governments were trusting, European governments were trusting the office because we had created some credible mechanism so that we could 97% prove mm-hmm. that the, the people who are we giving the documents are hand up Somalis. You know, it's sometimes uh, very difficult because you we have Somalis living in Kenya, we have Somalis living in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. so we have Somalis living in Djibouti, and actually I was just representing Somali federal government. So, But when I moved physically in Brussels, things got better. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad that we were able to serve our people diligently. Yeah. So besides establishing the office, what were some of your proudest accomplishments as an ambassador? Well, you know, first of all, uh, the moment I went there in 2014, we had an issue with a maritime dispute issue with Kenya. And then we had to take the issue to the International Court of Justice. So I was the agent of Somalia for that case. And... uh, it was a very, it took six years to finish practically. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, this is an international court of justice where conflict between two countries are dealt with. The Kenyans were claiming, you know, how they, demarcation of the border, how they would do it, but there is an international standard how you do the demarcations, border demarcations on the sea. So they, that was a dispute. And the dispute also related to the fact that the area that the Kenyans went to claim had lot of, lots of potentials of gas and, and oil. Mm-hmm. And that was the main reason. So this was one of the things that I really am very happy that I was there from the beginning to the end. And, and Somalia has finally won. All the difficulties of you know, a country like Somalia would have financially and everything the commitment from the Somali government, from the embassy, from everybody, I think finally paid off. And this was a, a great accomplishment for my presence there as ambassador of Somalia uh, in the European Union. Then another thing really I had to uh, ask my president was, there was migrant crisis happening in Libya, you know. Yes. And there were people who were abused. It's still happening actually, by the, by the way. And then I had met with my president in uh, Ivory Coast where there was a European-African summit. And uh, then we had discussed about what we could do. And then the president asked me if I could be his special envoy and try to help those people. 
So I had to fly to Libya, which is a very dangerous place, it's still danger. And I have to go to the, the detention centers where they're holding these people by the government. The government was holding these people in these detention centers. And I was able to really come up with a process and, you know, return those who went to voluntarily return back to Somalia. And it was really a very successful story. But unfortunately, still people are migrating and passing through Libya and being kidnapped by the, and sold actually, by the uh, smugglers. Mm -hmm. uh, the project that I have begun is still ongoing. Some people have, around over thousands of people have benefited from it. So that's, that's an, uh, an accomplishment, really. I, I'm very proud as well. And now that you are in Congress, will, that, will you be able to keep pushing those programs forward? Yes. Uh, there was an election in May of this year. Yep. So there's a new parliament and a new president. Considering the, 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 the fragility of the country, we still is struggling to build strong institutions. And, uh, you know, I would say I am ready to contribute as much as I can on issues of my expertise, mm -hmm. whether it is on, you know, on foreign policy or whether it's on scientifically related issues. Like, for example, we have some in Somalia right now, drug issue, drug addiction is really mm -hmm. one of the highest, I would say, in the world because drugs are sold in the streets and there are no regulations. And this is something that the Congress has to, you know, uh, draft a bill and then put forward, make a law, and then from there, you know, try to catch the smugglers and the traders. Also then try to help, you know, those who are addicted mm -hmm. to the drugs. So this is some an area that I, I like to push. Mm -hmm. Another area, you know, I still doing is the science I work with. You know, sometimes I get invited by, by associations, medical associations or other groups to give lectures and I give lectures or presentations. Uh, I'm also planning to work on, you know, building a center for birth defects in Somalia. Mm -hmm. Another thing I, I want also to do is, you know, to advise we have now a center for quality control, which still... The, the lows of the 60s and the, the 80s are being used, so we have to come up with modern regulations and see how we can uh, better the quality control of uh, food and drugs and chemicals as well. So these are, this is also another commitment that I'm pushing forward to work on that. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, and this would be a good time to get into it, um, when you were an ambassador, you served as one of, the, one of the committees, I guess, you served on had something to do with chemicals? Yeah, OPCW. OPCW. Yes. Yes. Actually, the, that organization is mainly focused on chemical weapons. Well, okay. Yeah, and uh, countries that everybody ha who is a signatory of the OPCW uh, has to uh, comply with certain rules and practically to register any chemicals that are available in the country, any chemicals that could be used for weapons as a weapon. And that's, you know, I would say Somalia is one of the, the least compliant countries in the sense that it's not that we have chemical weapons. Nothing major has been done. Well, that's another area where your scientific expertise would come into play. Yeah, absolutely. It's another area that is 
for me easy because most of these chemicals are also pesticides, which is also false under toxicology. It's a, yeah, another thing I, I really am doing is that, you know, I had before, before joining sci- uh, politics and diplomacy, I edited uh, a book which is, has become very uh, successful. It's called Comprehensive Guide in Toxicology for Non-Clinical Drug Development. And now I'm working on the third edition, and I hope that the book will be ready, you know, uh, next year. I've been very lucky to have authors who are willing to, you know, uh, put their expertise and, and share with the scientists. And, and as I said, the book initially was published in 2012, and then in 2017, the second edition, and now the third edition is going on. So this is another area. I still, I, 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 as a scientist, I'm engaged to. Another thing is that I do also is sometimes if I get called because normally as a politician, there is always, you have time to, to do several other things. So if I get called for consulting activities, I still do that as well. That's, that's excellent. And obviously it helps inform all of your political decision-making as well in regards to anything related to science. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a really thrilling conversation for me, and I'm so glad you could be here. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, really, talking to you. 